0: welcome back to the drop this is michael ceramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing shortly i'll be joined by buck and we're going to discuss all this week's news including a new stab edit of the year entry It's actually a Cult of Freedom part with Globe and the surfer, the star, Sean Manners. We're also going to talk about Stab's fantasy draft for the WCL's next CEO. Stace and I touched on this briefly in the last episode, but we're going to break it down a little bit further, explain who our picks are and why. We're also going to talk about how the ISA and Fernando Ogueri, they took 27 years to get surfing into the Olympics, but they pulled it off. We're going to explain how and go into a bit of a documentary that they made on the point. And also, we're going to talk about the world's best QS. Uh, You're going to have to hear it, but you'll believe it. And of course, it surfs it. So let's drop in.
1: Welcome to the Challenger Series podcast favored by the entire backcountry skiing community we sure are buck
0: and uh wow challenger series has been popping off i've missed every minute of it because it
1: couldn't be a worse time zone for me but i'm sure you've caught some and they're doing it like for a few hours every day they're just chipping away they run like paul evans must be loving i've been talking to him he's down there commentating and just he has his nice little day you know has to wake up get down there commentate four five heats on your way got the afternoon free he'll be back down there tomorrow but today was fucking sick
0: i saw jacob wilcox got a 10 basically cementing himself into i would say a ct qualification he's pretty locked in um who else oh did you
1: see did you see kalani ball's instagram no what did i miss you should look at it now it's just a very feel-good moment okay i'm pulling it up And this
0: is what the Challenger Series is all about. They made Jacob Wilcox a Yeti 110 cooler for his 10 out of cardboard and Sharpies. (laughs) 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 The boys are loving it.
1: (laughs) I wish, if you're driving, you got to pull over Kalani Ball on Instagram. Find it. It is just such a feel-good moment for surfing. Uh...
0: (laughs) congratulations boys
1: let's get into the news first up we've got the cult of freedom sean manners part and i am here today to make a big announcement this has been maybe a decade maybe 15 years of mason ho owning fun Mason Ho, you could not say his name. You could not find an article without... Unless it's on Stab, because we're fucking better than this. But the rest of the world just could not disassociate Mason Ho with fun. I am here today to tell you that I think Sean Manners is having more fun than anybody on this planet. And this edit made me feel Wow, bad. that's a big
0: call. He does surf a river wave in it as well. So he's treading on uh, Ben Gravy's territory as well.
1: Did you not sense that, though? Like, in... I'm not saying he goes and he does, like, any... It's not something about his specific surfing style. It's more his just approach to life in general throughout this thing. It just looks like the It looks like the most fun thing ever. Totally agree.
0: But you did bury the lead a little bit here. This is not just Sean Manor's Cult of Freedom part. This is a stab edit of the year entry, and... To your point, I think it is probably the best one because Sean is surfing the best waves, which means he's having the most fun. That's people really miss the point when they said that the person that's uh having the most fun is the best surfer. No, no, no. It's the person surfing the best waves is the best surfer or they're having the most fun. I don't know. I'm a little bit confused.
1: It's all I see what you mean. It's like a yeah. triangle. It's you know like uh like uh thoughts, feelings, behavior. It's all linked uh-huh. up kind of thing. It's uh it's like yeah. that. So yeah. it's,
0: it's very circular or triangular, however you want to look at it. But this is an absolutely outstanding edit.
1: Well, I mean, I just don't think you need to, like, you know, do a bunch of chop-ups or, like, try to hit a rock to, like, be like, this is fun. Going to the places where he goes, which a lot of times he doesn't have to go too far. A lot of this is WA, um, which happens to get incredible waves. But... It just looks. I just when I was watching it, I couldn't shake this sense of like. Imagine if you just lost in the elimination round, in Sakurama, and then you had to watch this. I mean, he's Sean's doing well for himself. Uh, we know that his recent deal with former was in that six-figure range, so he's got a comfortable life. And it well, just six-figure
0: looked, Australian, so he's like poverty line in the US. Forty k in the US. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. But yeah, I don't know. Just I think his approach to life. There's just something about even hanging with him at Stab High. He just seems like the most easygoing, happy person ever. And I do think it translates to his serving. He does just like even when he's on a wave of consequence. He's kind of just having fun. It looks like just calm and collected. Yeah, and that was and,
0: him in a competitive environment that you're talking yeah. about as well. You should have seen him <laughs> on vacation when we filmed that thing at Can <laughs> it was It was beyond. <laughs>
1: there's just a certain feeling I think the globe parts and uh, for me it's just it's a long time that's it been this way I just think that nobody really does what they do I had something about watching these things I just it feels cool it makes me want to surf I pull the music from it it's they're fucking great yeah
0: they really so there's three main components of an edit for me there's the surfer actually I guess there's four So, or no, I'll I'll clump two of them into one. Okay, so there's the surfing, which is a combination of the surfer and the waves. There's the filming, which is, you know, a combination of people shooting it from different angles and getting unique lighting and stuff like that. And then there's the editing, which obviously brings together music and also like how you want to portray the feeling of the entire thing. And to me, this hits all, like, it's like an A plus in pretty much all three of those categories. Like, you have Tom Geno filming some of the best waves in Australia, ridden by one of the best surfers in the world, and then put together by Globe, who is either by Joji or under the tutelage of Joji, some of the best editing that's ever been done in surfing. So, of course, with that, you get an incredible stab edit of the year entry.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I do think, like I said, new era in surfing, Mason Ho no longer having the most fun. Sean Manners, I think, is. Another era I think we're getting into is the you can't just hate on Vlogs era. I think a big part of that changing too is um Nathan Florence in general. You just can't hate on what he's doing. I think I think when vlogs were at their most hated, it was because so many people were trying to do them too. It was like everybody there was like a year, maybe a six month span where so many people were trying to get him going, and it was pretty pathetic. Um yeah, and now I feel like we're at a time when the survivors just do what they do really well, even if it's in different ways, and so now the quality is actually, you can't hate on it. Um, but all that is to say that I think we're out of the era of hating vlogs, let's face it, it is a pretty simple, easy, not easy, but a fair way to tell a story, and some of the shit ain't bad anymore. But when we're at that low point in vlogs, you know when sometimes you'd watch something you'd almost just be embarrassed that you participate in the activity that it's covering? Um Parts like this are just the polar opposite, where you're just like, oh, fuck, like, we're cool. Like, surfing is fucking awesome,
0: Okay, well, I will say that people in Western Australia, Australia in general, but Western Australia in particular, have a bit of an advantage. Like, they get to surf some of the best, most, like, clip-centric waves in the world with very little poaching, you know what I mean? Like, of course, places like the North Shore... Have incredible waves that people would be able to get amazing clips at but the second that it happens it's like on instagram so guys in australia and west australia in particular they get to kind of keep this cool factor where they go and do all these things without anybody really knowing no fanfare and then they get to package it and put it all out stuff that nobody's ever seen and it's like holy shit like this is what he's been doing this whole time we obviously haven't seen a sean manners edit in a while now and it's like oh okay i get it now like basically the intro of this edit before the the like opening cult of freedom graphic comes on is pretty much like the best edit we've seen all year and then that's just the first like minute and a half before it even really starts and then it just goes into section after section of like the most fucked up waves the most fucked up surfing like i don't know it's really really cool and then Don't sleep on the credits either, because I feel like one of the best tubes that I've seen all year is in there, if not the best tube I've seen in there. You know a tube is good when you're looking at it from—you're looking into the tube, that's the angle that you're at, and the person's so deep that you find yourself tilting your head and, like, leaning so that you can, like, see around the corner— And, of course, you can't because that's not how two-dimensional screens work. But that's how freaking deep he was. Like, one of the most unbelievable tubes that for sure is going to make it into our 2023 most spectacular waves of the year edit come, what, December?
1: I I love dropping it in the credits. I love that. And one more thing I want to call out. I'm not going to tell you what time it is, but you'll know when you see it. He does a chop up there that gets him in trouble, and it's one of my favorite. It's just a parable. It's a parable is what it is. Do not do not do chop pops they'll get you in trouble eventually you're gonna get how's the,
0: how's the the slob over the log
1: oh my god there's a lob slog. <laughs> there's the blood that was shed for that burial it's uh yeah but for me the chop pop is just a hilarious clip it's just it's just um a fitting punishment to the crime
0: all right stab of the year, cult of freedom sean manners
1: get on it War Story, Kalah Grace's Journey Back from a Near Fatal Injury at Pipeline. Wow. So if you were watching the Dahui Backdoor Shootout on January 17th, um, you probably would have gotten sick to your stomach. Kalah was in a heat. He caught a closeout, a wave he didn't know was going to close out. He just thought it had a decent line, turned out it didn't. Came up, was fine. And then one of the waves behind him, he just ducked over, and all of a sudden he went out. He was dragged out of the water with no pulse. He flatlined twice on the way to the hospital. And now he's back in the water. So this was one of the heaviest things. I I wasn't watching this. This was a tough time zone for me. But the people who were watching this webcast that saw this happen in real time said it was one of the heaviest things they've ever seen in surfing. I mean, there is that moment at the Nazaré comp um, when it was the toe one, like, With Alex Botelho from here which was a similar vibe but when you see something this hectic happen streamed around the world it's so fucked up so it's nice to hear from Kala. it's nice to hear that he's going well and what an incredible person I didn't I didn't know that he'd be in such a good headspace after this especially so quickly it's been just about six months but um man this was a this was a fucking really good read I think Horrible situation. Great Great read. read. And to hear
0: how his mindset has changed a little bit since he's come back. He recently went to Tahiti for that quote unquote code red swell that ended up being uh, more of a pinkish hue, I suppose. It was a little bit weaker than anticipated. But he went there and rather than doing what he normally does, which is you show up uh, on the day of the swell, you get out there at pretty much first light and you just paddle out without a thought he actually decided to sit and watch and he just, he didn't quite feel ready. And then the next day he went out and he got a good wave and he said he didn't make it, but it did a lot for his confidence to know that he can actually still go out there and do that and, you know, not have a traumatic experience. So he's obviously still dealing with everything that's happened, mostly in a mental sense. I think physically he's, he's all good, but um, he still is dealing with some concussion issues uh, as well. So, I think, uh, why don't we let uh, Kalat speak for himself though. Ethan got him on the phone and we've got a great little soundbite here from Kalaat.
1: Do you know if you're breathing or?
2: Yeah, so thank, thank God they're like the best water patrol in the world. And um, like one of them told me that there's normally only one jet ski in the water at a time, but for some reason at that moment there was two in the water, thank God. and. Nolan, Nolan's super on it. He's seen me. He remembers me, giving him the okay that I was fine. Then, then he see me not come up, so they went straight in for me. And Kamalani, Ahui, um, Uncle Terry, Ahui's son, the guy who founded Hawaiian Water Patrol, one of them. Yeah. He jumped off to grab me, but since the current so strong, it ripped him right past me. Right. And Nolan, seeing that acted so fast that he whipped his jet ski around and jumped straight off onto me. And he got a hold of me, and then the other jet ski came in and picked me and him up, threw us on the sled. And I wasn't breathing. They brought me straight into straight into the beach, did the CPR. I guess they said, like, some of the most water they ever seen come out of somebody while I was on the beach. There's actually a video of the whole thing that, that never got out. but. I guess I was like semi awake on the beach. No, I don't remember none of this. And then from there, straight in the ambulance, straight to the hospital. Oh. And then actually in the, in the ambulance, not supposed to have like people in the ambulance, but Billy, Billy's like my older brother, Billy Kemper. And he just jumped in. I don't think anybody could have told him, get out at that point. <laughs> right? And he, he rode with me on Pike to the hospital. And he told me I flatlined twice, one on the freeway, one right before I got, like, as we were pulling up to the hospital. And he said that was some of the scariest stuff he's ever seen. Thank God for Billy, so knowledgeable about water safety and all that stuff. So it was good he was there. (sighs) He was was actually a really big part of my whole recovery, all the way through the whole thing. Billy's like my older brother, I can call him at any time for anything. So yeah, thank, thank God for Billy.
0: What have the past few months looked like? What's your recovery actually involved?
2: Okay, so the first month out of the hospital, I kind of just laid in a dark room and didn't do nothing at all. It was super weird. The concussion symptoms were were real bad. I, I had some really, really weird days where I had no idea, like, what was going on like where I was, stuff like that. Like not that extreme, but at the same time I was real confused. I didn't really know where I was, who I was, what was going on. And then luckily I got to go to Brain Health Hawaii with Dr. Kiefer and do this brain treatment there where it helps. You put this magnetic thing on your brain and it helps turn on your parts of your brain that aren't working. That was every day for about two months. And then at the same time i was seeing another brain doctor named dr tanako where we do more like hands on stuff for um, balance and memory and and stuff like that so that was the first 2 months was was brain doctor after brain doctor after brain doctor until i started feeling good so getting my physical shape back eating good and most importantly sleeping good and then that's been that's been my routine since just, just trying to make sure my body's in best shape so when the winter does come around, I'm ready physically and mentally. And when I started going out in public, just seeing everybody, how happy everybody was, that to me was more important than any wave I've ever got. Like, it felt really good knowing that that I'm loved, and if I did die that day, I would have left a positive impact on the North Shore. With the, and that's always been my main goal in life, is to, just to make sure, or try my best to make sure people are smiling around me so knowing that I would have checked off that goal and that I was a good guy, or I mean, that I would have left as a good guy and left a positive impact on on me and the North Shore and my family, that meant more to me than any good wave I've ever caught or any good compliment I got after a good wave. So that felt good. That felt really good.
1: One more thought on this thing. It's, and I know that like people in our world are, know better i guess i'll say but i think it's crazy how much nazare has become this point of fixation for the mainstream and i get it it's the fucking tallest wave and it's it's very dangerous and all that but i i don't know how we don't like how the mainstream hasn't applied that to pipeline to me the stories around pipeline are so rich i mean people who dedicate their lives to serving there it's almost just like a matter of time people get so many people have had horrible near-death experiences there and it's still a wave that sucks these people and there's like generations of stories behind it there are people who've died it's there's so much there to me and it's just, it just to compare that to Nazare I don't know I think I think the mainstream is looking in the wrong spot if you want a rich story i
0: think it literally just comes down to what is going to create shock and awe in the general public when they see an image or a video pop up on their facebook feed and i think that nazare does that more than pipeline it's pretty much all it comes down to like it's just the the, the sheer height of the wave is literally all it is and it's unfortunate that that's the way that perfect surfing is going to be perceived by the wider public but yeah it's just people reacting to their base instincts
1: Yeah, but that doesn't warrant, like, a documentary. That's, like, one thing is, like, a 15-second Facebook video, but, like, HBO pulling up to it, like, I just, I think Pipeline deserves. I know it's the most respected wave among us, but to me it's just, like, it's fucking crazy. It's crazy. That wave is insane, and people really give it their whole lives acknowledging the fact that it could kill them. And when you see people like Kala who've really climbed the ladder up there and have put in so much time having this happen to him, just going under a wave, it's fucking crazy. And the fact that he's still going to be back out there, like there's just, that's not common in humanity. No, I, I agree. And, and also the other thing with Pipeline that I've
0: always thought about is Pipeline's such an incredibly amazing wave just for the way that it does what it does. And like Pipeline is obviously the wave that we think about as surfers as kind of like the pinnacle, right? Like if you're getting good waves at Pipe, that's pretty much as good as it gets. If Pipeline didn't exist, try to imagine a world in which Pipeline didn't exist. Do you think there would be that wave that we think about that way? Like the first wave that my mind goes to is Chopes. But it's like it doesn't have that same ability to have a bunch of people on the beach. It's not that accessible. It's obviously the, the wave quality is there, but it also isn't like a right and a left. Like there's something about Pipeline that's just so special. And I don't know if it really would even be replicated or could be that's, that its shoes could be filled if it didn't exist.
1: Yeah, I don't think we would. I don't think... I, we'd have different things, but... no, nah, it wouldn't... It couldn't be... We couldn't have another pipeline, no. Stabs Fantasy Draft for the WSL's next CEO. Alright, as we all know, old Eric Logan, he went missing about a week ago. It was last Friday, where we woke up to a post-Elo world... And we have asked people inside the WSL, people outside the WSL, people who seem to know everything about what is happening everywhere at all times, and nobody has heard fuck all. So that's our ELO update for the moment. It's the silence is stunning. Not in my career has there been a moment where people have known so little about something so major happening. Something weird's happening. We still don't know. So. Who's going to fill the role now? Mikey, I believe you and Taylor worked on this one to lay out some candidates for who the WSL could potentially hire for the next CEO. Who did you pick? Uh, Okay,
0: so we had 13 names that we put forth. They include Kelly Slater, Pat O'Connell, Evan Slater, not related as far as we know, Fernando Aguirre, Paul Nade, Bob Hurley, Brooke Ferris, Andrew Stark, Ace Bucken, Mark Price, Ross Garrett, Makua Rothman, and Circe Wallace, those are names that I think a lot of our listeners will know a good portion of them, but maybe a couple that you wouldn't know. Maybe some people that are more kind of behind the scenes. Um, like, for instance, in Andrew Stark, Stace brought up in our last podcast. He runs the WSL's Australian division. Uh, Mark Price very big name in the business world of surfing maybe not so much on the um, consumer end but he was the CEO of Firewire when it basically became the biggest surfboard company in the world Ross Garrett has worked for a bunch of different publications he's really big on subscription models that's why we thought he might be a good fit for the WSL um, Circe Wallace, obviously former pro snowboarder turned, uh, agent, and she's done a lot in the business world of board sports. So yeah, there's some really, really good names in here. And Taylor and I basically made a pitch for why each of them could or would be a good leader of the WSL. Okay. You know who my pony would be if I could choose one? Is he on this list or is she on this list? Yes. Okay. I think you would go with Fernando.
1: Bam. <laughs> We are about to talk about Fernando next section, but Paul Nade, Paul Nade, just in the likely event that some situation that could be somewhat controversial would arise, his demeanor on camera, I would inject that into my veins. <laughs> I would inject him. Imagine if somebody wrote a Instagram thing saying the judging was fucked when that guy was CEO. Fucking imagine.
0: I mean he would have probably personally served Gabby coming out of his first heat in the El
1: Salvador event. Oh, it would have been so good. So I think it's unlikely. I who knows, who knows? I think he he's my passion pick. That's all I can say.
0: Okay. Paul Nade. Stace, like I said, went with Andrew Stark. I, uh, jokingly went with Bobby Martinez. My real pick, like, heart of hearts, would be Kelly Slater. I think that it's so it makes so much sense, like He obviously just fell off the tour and he's had so many incredible personal achievements within surfing that this would be his way of cementing his legacy as just like the most important person ever in surfing. Like he did the whole thing on his own. He won 11 world titles, all these other achievements and then he came in and he saved professional surfing from itself. I don't know exactly what sort of decisions that would entail, but I know that Kelly's always been forward thinking about what competitive surfing could and should look like. And obviously he'd have the respect of everyone from surfers to fans, to people in the business world, et cetera. My one concern is that he might lean a little bit too much towards the surfers once, which I think can be dangerous. I actually appreciated that somewhat about Italo or not Italo about Elo is that he really, when it came down to it, he really was okay with making like strong business first decisions I wonder if Kelly just being a surfer for so long, being so close with all those guys and girls would kind of cloud his judgment a bit. But I think that that would be the ultimate like Slater legacy. Just, ah, it be fucking amazing. Imagine if he came in and just changed the whole system and just made it work.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with your sentiment there. Everything you said, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's something about it. Would he be able to make those tough calls? I mean, he does have a lot of experience Starting and running businesses, so maybe. But I guess when he, it's something that's so dear to his heart, something that he poured so much his entire life into for decades, who knows? to Be able to treat it like with that cold kind of hand of business. Um, one that I think you guys missed that I think should be was very important to me. Actually, was it had a stipulation, but if Jadson Andre won the <laughs> won the Brazil comp you'd have to give him the CEO role. I think there's just no way. I don't think he's going to get into another event this year, but if he wins an event before they hire the next CEO, he earned it fair and square. Um, uh, so that is one. I, was, I had been saying it at that event um, just to friends, and now I'm saying it to the world. If Jaddy wins, you got to let him be CEO. Um, I stand you know, by that. You he, he surfed
0: finals day in Brazil. He obviously, unfortunately, didn't make the final, but he surfed finals day in Brazil. That night, he was on a flight to South Africa where he surfed the next day in the
1: Challenger Series.
0: The guy does not quit.
1: <laughs> Nobody knows the system like him. Nobody knows the system like him. So, if yeah, I, I just think Jadson, he's still a uh, passionate pick for me. Another thing to note, though, I think, is the WSL didn't used to – it used to be structured a little bit differently. They used to have, a, I think, a president and a CEO, and the president was more like surf background and I think dealing with some of the more day-to-day surf-specific decisions, and the CEO is more business-focused, and I think sometimes kind of not as forward-facing. Um, Elo was obviously, he didn't shy away from cameras. He seemed to quite enjoy them. So things have kind of changed, but I, I don't think we could rule out like um, that sort of dynamic coming back, just maybe a core trusted surfer making some decisions and then a more even if it's something we've never heard of that just came from some other company in the business world that has no surf background in that actual ceo role so let's not rule that out either but my gut tells me we won't hear anything until the end of the season i think they'll ride out the rest of the season what we got two more cts in the finals left i don't think we'll have news until then i bet we'll have something in the fall of a new ceo or a new system so um We'll keep you posted, folks. And if Jaddy wins, you got to give it to him. It took 27 years to get surfing into the Olympics. This is a title that is about a video called The Impossible Wave. The video is made by the ISA and it is about their president, Fernando Aguirre's journey of getting surfing into the Olympics. Buck, I just Um, want to call
0: out one small inaccuracy. Um, The first Olympics actually took place in 776 BC. So it was more in like the uh, 2,300 year range, actually.
1: Okay. It took Fernando 27 years to get surfing in the Olympics. Fair enough. There we go. There we go. There we go. But when you watch this thing, and it's a full documentary, when you watch this thing... I mean you have right up in the start you have Bob McKnight who is one of the most well known surf industry executives of all time talking about just essentially telling Fernando, Hey, this is stupid. Like it's not gonna work. You're you're tripping. Um, and I can't imagine just having it feel that far off where somebody who's so knowledgeable and obviously so passionate who would want it just being like, dude, I don't know if this is worth doing. It's like you're just it's not gonna happen, you're gonna waste your time. Um but he pushed on the dog.
0: And that's he? really hard to do. Like, this film talks about, you know, him basically getting laughed out of boardrooms and meetings and stuff. Like, I, I get one little bit of pushback from someone, and I just, like, sink into a shell. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll never say that again. And he just persevered.
1: He fucking persevered. So a little background on him. He and his brother Santiago started Reef Sandals in 1985. They started with just 4K. And they grew it to an estimated four k video back then four k video, yeah, it was sick. They didn't have uh reds yet, but they, they were doing what they could in four k so four grand nineteen eighty five they grew it to an estimated fifty million dollars in revenue. They sold eighty percent of it in two thousand two, and we know that they sold the additional twenty percent in two thousand five for a sale that was worth one hundred and eighty eight million total so You boys made some money, and when that happened, Fernando pretty much said, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to focus my life on, I'm just not going to prioritize money or anything. I'm just going to do things that I'm passionate about and look at things through a more charitable angle. So he had become the ISA president. He was voted into that position. It's a position that you still have to be voted into Uh, in 1994 while he was still at Reef. And yeah, since I think... He's chipping away at it for all that time, but I think especially when he sold the company, he had more time to really dive in. And the fucking guy devoted his life to this shit, and it worked. I can't believe that. And I have a theory. Wait, are you
0: saying we can run to be president of the ISA?
1: Yes. There's elections. How do we put our name in? I'm not sure about the process. I don't know if you have to somehow find a way to get on the ballot, but I know that it's a voting thing. He was voted in for a few more years, I think, last year or the year ago. So he's still in. You'd have to figure out when the next election is, but he's still there. And um, I have a theory. I have a theory I'd like to discuss. What's that? I think if you devote 20, let's just say 20 or more, just to keep it simple, but he went 27. You devote 20 years of your life to something that people say is not going to work, and it actually works. You are allowed to dress however the fuck you want. <laughs> for that, from that moment on, from that moment on, nobody can tell you how to dress.
0: That's pretty fair. If, That's pretty fair.
1: If the war in Ukraine drags on for two decades and Russia wins at one point, Vladimir is going to be fucking getting around in florals and hats. I swear to God, this is how people who have dealt with that, this is how they adapt. That's all. That's my theory. That's
0: fair. That's fair. And I'm actually I mean, so we talked about Kelly Slater, you know, turning the WSL around. That could be his legacy. Obviously, Fernando is what he achieved with Reef is unbelievable. But there's making money and then there's, you know, leaving your mark on a sport. And I mean, Reef definitely is uh, has had a cultural impact on surfing, no doubt. But this is truly something that will never be forgotten. Um, unless of course kelly decides to make his legacy taking surfing out of the olympics and he just puts on a 20-year campaign to somehow get surfing disqualified and i think that
1: would be great too. (laughs) (laughs) hey i mean we don't know what's next for kelly so he's gonna we know he's very passionate and we know he's gonna just channel that somewhere Let's see what it is. Speaking of the ISA, we should also talk about another story that's on the site right now.
0: And it explains the situation with Erin Brooks and why the ISA has disqualified or suspended her from competing for Team Canada. It's kind of an in-depth story. There's a lot of layers to it. But we we got all the inside scoop about what's going on. As we know, Erin got Silver at the recent ISA World Games. So that was a really big deal. She's going to get to keep her medal, but Canada will not keep its points and she will not be able to compete for Canada until her, basically, her um, citizenship comes through. So that's an ongoing story. But for now, Aaron Brooks is unable to compete and we've
1: got the full breakdown on the site. Go check it out and cry some maple syrup if you're Canadian. A-plus waves, jungle camaraderie, and karaoke blowouts. This is the world's greatest QS event. We are talking about the Curry Pro, a recent QS5000 that attracted everybody from Sky Brown to former CT Top 5 surfer Morgan Spillick, Josh and Sierra Kerr, even people like Kira Pinkerton who couldn't even keep their points because that's how the regional QS works. And by all accounts, and trust us, we got many, It was the best time ever Um, we've actually got the author of the story chris bins to explain
3: g'day gang chris bins here i was lucky enough to head to south sumatra a few weeks ago to commentate at the crewy pro and uh two flights from bali and an awful eight hour drive later found myself in the middle of nowhere surrounded by 150 plus competitors a wild selection of associated characters wondering just what I was doing there and what they were all doing there. Anyway, end up having such a good time, I figured I'd read, better write about it. Crew Pro is a QS5000, which is the upper echelon of surfing's third-tier tour, and the waves of the event were better than a lot of what we've seen on the CT and the Challenger Series in 2023. And after witnessing everyone going upside down on their backhands again and again, this event is also a pretty strong reminder of why we desperately need a rippable left on the CT. If you suggest the Wave Ranch, don't bother reading my article. There's a heap of setups in this part of the world. Everyone was surfing their brains out. Uh, in and out of the rashies and then letting off a ton of steam at night and the vibe was more relaxed than any comp I've been to in a long time. Spoke to Morgan Siblik, Dylan Moffat and Joel Vaughan and the three Aussies confirmed my thinking that this was basically a surf trip with a few heats getting in the way. Morgues and Dill are on the Changans already so they didn't even need the points. They just wanted to get away, surf their brains out, get barreled, drink beer with their mates, job done. Morgues even won the comp. Morgs talks about growing up watching the Dream Tour and then laughed that when he qualified he got to surf events at home in Newcastle and Narrabeen um, and was kind of pushing forward the theory that the regional QS might just be the modern Dream Tour. Josh Kerr was in town with his daughter, Sierra, and even though she was competing, they were definitely there more to surf and film good waves than anything else. And as a guy who was a star on the air show circuit in the Surf court 2001 era, Kersey was pretty damn proud to hear that Morgan won the event with a solid hangover. Uh, chatted to Sky Brown, who's the 14-year-old British skateboard prodigy who won bronze at the Tokyo Olympics and now wants to try and double qualify for surfing as well. She was in town with Rizal Tanjung, of all people, go figure, This was her first ever big surf comp, so it was cool to get her take on how skate and surf events stack up and also how the two breeds of party animals compare because the Aussie boys... And some of the Japanese guys as well were giving it a serious crack. Uh, fun fact about Sky: she seriously rips, which was cool to see because nobody had a clue, but the girl has game. Uh, finally got to talk to Kira Pinkerton, who she couldn't even keep her points from the event. She's an American surfing out of her region. She just wanted to have a little circuit breaker after a shitty run on the Changers. She wanted to surf some good heats, good waves, no pressure, and uh, see how she went mission accomplished reckon she'll be back every year i hadn't really crossed paths with kira since the world junior days and that's kind of when the groms are all trying to be clean cut and say the right thing so a few years later it was Really cool to hear her say she's always wished she'd been a surfer in the 90s and that this event was her chance to try and live out those dreams because she was leading the chorus uh, most nights. Anyway, it was a sick event and maybe a reminder of what surf contests should be all about. Plenty of beers on the competitor deck, not too many coaches or parents, no wristbands or lanyards or security or VIP or fucking VIP areas. Heaps of karaoke being sung all night, average accommodation, bloody good times. So anyway, epic wage, great locations, everyone having a good time. Food for thought for the new CEO? You tell me. Anyway, enjoy the ride. Cheers.
1: Mikey, what do you think of this? I mean, I want to be on the QS now. I want to, this thing, this thing sold me. I mean, sure, but the, the title of this story,
0: it's like they've never even heard of the UCSC before. It just as far as QS events
1: go, it doesn't really get better than that. A plus waves. Well A plus waves. if you had if you had world class waves there and trust me, I'm a big ECSC fan. That is uh I have many many memories from that place that um, could it's not good. Uh, but very no, good. Alright,
0: you're right. This this is a better QS event. Um so this area, Crue, it's in South Sumatra. It's just littered with waves. Basically, all of your favorite free surfers have been going there for the past seven or so years, and it's quietly become a pretty big area for surf travel as a result of their surfing the local beach break and many of the reefs around the point. Um, there's lots of barrel waves. There's waves, There's everything you could really want, and they're all situated around this event. So basically,
1: people that lost, it seemed like, were almost more stoked than people that won. Some of the waves that are getting around it are embedded into the story where it's just the best time ever. I mean, we live, it's a nice time to not be on the CT. So what that you're going uh, bankrupt to do it? You're getting fake Yeti coolers and you're doing karaoke in the jungle. It's fine. It's fun. So it's great. I feel like there's a, a good sense of, of joy and camaraderie returning to surfing that I think maybe we tipped the scales a little bit too far the other direction for a bit where I'm seeing a lot of signs now that people are really just keeping it fucking fun again and I'm here for it. All right, almost time for the surf sin, but a few other things to note. We teased it last week, but there is a Jaws, who is the greatest Jaws surfer of all time piece on the site. Alby's not happy about it. Oh, he's not thrilled. He's not thrilled. You mentioned the Aaron Brooks story, but that is a good read. Um, I republished the interview that Paul Evans did with El Nino because I just feel like I saw El Nino in a bunch of headlines lately. And I was like, well, Paul Evans talked to El Nino. It's happening. is the story. And Paul Evans talked to El Nino, interviewed El Nino before it's happening. And I brought that back up front because I thought people might want to revisit it or check it out for the first time if they haven't read it yet. Um, beyond that, Keep an eye on that Challenger Series. We will have a recap when the comp ends, and we'll also have a little standings update. Who's doing what? Who's in? Who's out? Stace and I are going to come on to talk about that as well, as well as
0: the J-Bay event. So that'll be probably early next week that that episode comes out. And also, Buck, there's going to be a little drop on the site soon with a little teaser of Stab Highway Europe. We're going to be dropping the challenges that went down in France. So we're going to basically be posting the booklet that the surfers got and you're gonna see all the challenges that were available to them and it yeah, it leaves a lot to uh to be discussed and considered before the final drop on July twenty seventh. That's when the first episode comes
1: out. The last thing I saw from Stab Highway, because all the editors have been just working probably tirelessly, late into the night, through weekends, everything to turn this thing around. But the last thing I saw, my last Stab High memory, was climbing a fence into a bachelorette party of English women because somebody had the key to my car they did not drive to this party but somehow they brought the key with them to the party and then they rid themselves of the key at the party and then I woke up next morning I was like yo I gotta get this van back to the thing I don't have much time they we're just a helpless mess of a human being and so they were like I was here at one point and so I'm climbing the fence to get this key to get a van back to Madrid just to fly back to Lisbon so I haven't Word Stab Highway, that is the last thing I've felt and experienced from it. And now the fact that it's going to take shape and become a beautiful series for us all to enjoy, I am fucking excited. It was chaos, that thing. And we will be talking much more about it in the coming weeks. Another thing we have to look forward to, we're going to start breaking down the 2023 Stab Reader Survey data, starting with your favorite surfers. When I say your favorite surfers, I mean it. It's the survey's answers to that so that's coming up and then they've shuffled uh, things have have shuffled Mikey things have shuffled we'll talk about that next week Um, and then we'll have a bunch of other pieces in that realm coming at you so get there stab premium remember if you submit a surf sin and we love it you get a free year and then also a new one because shout out to this guy named Will who I met in the water in front of my house the other day uh, a podcast listener and like I said, there's never anybody surfing in front of my house. I've seen maybe – he's probably the third person I've seen the water out there in the history of me surfing there almost every day and checking it periodically throughout the day. Um, if you find me surfing in front of my house, you will get a free membership as well. So <laughs> there's three avenues. It's the in, It's locating me without arranging it in advance. And then another reminder, if you've been attacked by a shark, you also get the lifetime. That's a lifetime deal. A year for the others, but lifetime deal if you get attacked by a shark.
0: And totally unrelated, I will also sell you the details of Buck's address for fifteen dollars if you DM me on Instagram.
1: It just can't. It just can't be arranged. You can't try to meet <laughs> up with me if you have to just find me out there. And it's fair it's fair. Time for the sin. Time for the sin.
2: What up, stab? Uh, currently driving home from college, passing San Onofre cruising down to San Diego but uh my surf sin for you guys today is that whenever family's visiting from out of town we're supposed to teach them to surf which means push them into waves for about two hours um but oftentimes I end up just pushing them so that they pearl on purpose that way they get over it they're done go sit on the beach so I can actually go out and surf and have fun um so looking for a little penance Clear my conscience on that one, improve my family relations. So,
1: yeah. Oh, okay. So, we've had sins before where I think people take out a friend, a loved one of some form in ways that they're, you know, maybe they go to a spot where they know that the other person's going to have a hard time and the other person inevitably has the hard time. This is next level. Um, the fact that it's one thing if these were strangers, but the fact that this was a theme and there were people that were connected to him, that they were, it wasn't just like, if if it's one thing, if for some reason you're in, I guess career wise, you probably shouldn't do this either, but let's be honest. If it's just some stranger and you're like, fuck this, let's just send them on like a shit wave, then I'll get to go surf. I kind of get that. But then it's somebody that you actually have a, a human connection to that you're just, uh, blood kind of chucking onto these double-ups. Uh, unheard of. You think this is unprecedented? I don't know. I don't know if it's unprecedented. I, I think other people do it, but I don't think I've heard anybody confess it before. I don't think I've yeah, ever heard anybody true. be like, hey, I intentionally seek to make my uh, loved ones temporarily miserable, which we probably all do in different ways at different parts of the time. But through surfing, I use surfing as a tool to inflict uh, suffering onto people whom I love. No, I don't think somebody's uh, somebody's really done that on this program before.
0: Okay, well, the people on our Instagram felt similarly. Grasshopper Surfboards said, to your family? This guy sucks. He needs to watch every Vin Diesel movie start to finish in a row so he can learn how to treat family. That's a Fast and Furious reference. Um, thank you at Grasshopper Surfboards for sharing your opinion on this surf sin. Buck, how do you feel about this? Well, I know how you feel about it, but what's your penance?
1: Well, guy's just saying, you keep on doing God's work, my man. <laughs> Imagine believing that somebody put us on this planet, <laughs> 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 that that's that's our purpose here, <laughs> God's work. Uh, there's a few people loving it. Yeah, than, honestly, he's getting more, more praise uh, from what I can see on Instagram than not. But the Vindizo one, best sin ever. People love this one. Somebody said works on toddlers too? <laughs> you know, I'm going to pick this one from Andy McKeon, who says, no ice baths for a month, must stew in grandma's broth. Um, Ooh. That's a good way to reconnect with your family is to, instead of, is to just, do a just bathe in your grandmother's famous broth. Um I like that one, Andy. Thank you. What do you got, Mikey? Alright,
0: so my penance, I mean, to me, and maybe this is just rude of me, racist, borderline, but when I heard this guy start talking, he said, What up, stab? He's just so cal it hurts. Like the accent, the attitude, he's basically he's like Chad and JT, but unironically. So my penance for this guy is he needs to spend a year abroad. You got to go somewhere where people speak differently than you, think differently than you, and hopefully have a greater appreciation for, for family in this culture, wherever it may be around the world. And I think you'll come back a better person. I think you'll be a more whole person. I think you won't talk with that stupid SoCal accent as much. And I think the whole world will be a better place
1: for it. I like that. I like that. My penance is going to be more along the lines of asking for... I want his family to be involved in the healing journey. And so there is a time when if you were a child and you acted out, you would get a little slapping. A little slapping on the tush, right? Um, this is what happened. Um, that's fine for me. But uh, I think that a lot of the ways that people interact now it's all digital, right? And so I think if he's in a family group thread, you know, he doesn't need to have the spanking happen in person, but if he could just take a photo where his butt is kind of arched out, it doesn't have to be bare ass, it's just kind of like an arched back, just like his butt is clearly being featured, it's kind of in a mirror, and he just says, I have been a bad boy, can you spank me into the family group thread? Um, that's all I need. They're going to think that this was not aimed at them <laughs> and the ideal result is that nobody says anything the conversation just like the dad messages like two days later being like you know weather's nice here today hope the family is well. just if it's just lingering there um there's a famous story about a pro surfer doing a similar move by accident where it was not intended for the family and it went to the family hmm. um so I'm kind of playing off that but, yeah, just doesn't have to be bare ass. Just arch that butt, make it look nice, and just say, I've been a bad boy. Come spank me um, That's to the family.
0: I really appreciate this. I, I kind of figured out where you were going along the way, and it, I thought it was hilarious. You know what I also think, too, that I, I had an incident like this lately is – the, the worst part about an awkward exchange like that, or like if there's a situation where there's a bit of like tension in a text thread, is that it passes, right? Like the moment happens and it passes. But then the next time that you have to go and text that person again, it's just right there. It's just thrown right back in your face and,
1: and you have to relive it over again. And you know the other person is going to as well because it's right there for them. Oh, he's going to have to live it. And I hope it just does not get discussed for a very long time. <laughs> You're not allowed to tell, you're not allowed to own it either. That's just it. You threw these people in the waves. You put them in in danger, apparently doing the work of the Lord. Um, And I want you to heal.
0: Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. If you have a surf sin of your own, send it in vertically on your iPhone, 60 seconds or less. If it gets picked to air on this show and Stab's Instagram, you will win a free year of Stab Premium. So with that, there's still a lot to be kind of discovered on the ELO front. I promise we're not going to let that go. There's also still everything going on with board riders, so... The surf world is in a bit of turmoil at the moment, but we're going to do our best to make some sense of it. So stay tuned and until next week, over and out.